Hi everyone, welcome to the GMAT show, a GMAT club podcast where we talk about all the things related to GMAT. We conduct sessions on GMAT prep, GMAT test taking strategies, GMAT debriefs from successful GMAT test takers and also give free advice to our community. My name is Nikhil and I'm the director of MBA forums here at GMAT club. In today's session, we will interview Riti who scored 720 on her GMAT within two months. In her GMAT retake, Riddhi improved her GMAT verbal score from B29 to B40 in just two months. In this interview, we will uncover Riddhi's whole GMAT preparation journey, how she managed to improve her GMAT score, her timing strategies, how she utilized official question banks and GMAT club practice resources to attain improvement in her verbal as well as her overall GMAT score. Evan will be the host for this session. Over to you, Evan. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. My name is Evan. My forum name, as most of you know at this point, is Nightblade354. Yes, it's a joke of a name. Yes, I don't care. Yes, please send me the hate mail about it. But we're not here for me today. No, we're here to hear about Riddy and her incredible journey where she defied the odds. She somehow got an incredible verbal score. She also did very well in the quant and received a 720 on her GMAT. And you can see I already tripped up there. Folks, for those of you watching now and in the future, you will recall, or if you are a uh, user who watches a lot of my videos, you will know that I don't read YouTube uh, our debriefs prior to doing these YouTube videos. Uh, Riddy, I don't know if you posted a debrief on GMAT Club? Yes, I have. I did not read it. And for two reasons. One, I'm lazy. But I know every other user here is lazy. Therefore, I want to come into the same uh, to this video with the same mindset that they do. Two, I want to make sure that I don't know something that they don't. And as a result, if I've read it in the past, maybe I assume something and then there are holes in this video. So that is why both logically and from, I guess, a lazy point of view, why I do not read debriefs. But with that said, Rudy will introduce herself. She'll give all the background that all of you folks want to know. And then we'll dive into the fun questions that we have for her. So Riddhi, by all means, introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Riddhi Shah. I'm an architect and urban planner. And I've been working in the affordable housing space with a nonprofit firm. And that's my background. So I come from a very non-technical background. I am a more of a design and a creative professional. And we're so excited to have you here. And folks, for those of you wondering, Boy, how can how can I do a YouTube video with GMAT Club? Reach out to me on the forum and we can help get you on here. We like unique stories, we like success stories, and Riddy falls into both those categories. So that is why she is on with us today. By the way, I have to plug this. It's not me doing it, it's my producer. Please subscribe. I hate being the shill and the sellout who has to say that, but I do. So please subscribe. There, you happy? Enough about that. Riddy, are you ready for all the fun questions that we have for you today? Yes, let's do this. Awesome. And to our audience, if you have a question for her, please put it in the comment section. We, we will get to it at the end if we have time. We're on a tight schedule. We have only an hour. For those of you familiar with my videos, we tend to run up against that and go over pretty uh, common or uh, yeah, pretty often. So. I'll try and get to them at the end, but I promise I ask the majority of questions and cover them. So don't be shy. But with that said, let us dive in. 
And the first question I ask all of our users when they do these videos, um, by the way, completely agenda-free. This is an agenda-free show. No biases here, folks. Everything she says is completely above board. Nobody's paying her to do this video, neither GMAT Club, nor any of the sponsors of the forum, nor any consultants, prep companies, you name it. This is all her opinion. And if she wants to bash people, I have encouraged her to do so. In fact, I want her to do so. I'll start off. Kaplan, as I say every video, sucks. Stay away from them. So there we go. But with that said, what made you decide to take the GMAT? And what was the first thing you did after deciding to take the GMAT? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I've decided to go back to school after almost four years since I last attended school. And I wanted to go for an MBA. So I decided to choose between GRE and GMAT. And I've done a GRE in the past for my master's program. So I thought this time, let's take up GMAT and challenge myself differently. Uh, maybe I was a little foolish to sort of see that thing that I could sail through very smoothly. Uh, but yeah, it was a struggle. Uh, and I started as the first thing, I just sort of took the mock first thing and I got a very low score. That was a little like, okay, I need to really get into the rhythm of studying more because my first mock score was like 510. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I knew that I had a high, a big mountain to climb up to get to a 700 plus score. So let me ask, what was your GRE score when you got your master's degree? Uh, my GRE score was 316. Okay, which isn't, for those of you familiar, is not a bad GRE score. I will admit a 720 GMAT is significantly better than that. Um, but I was just curious why you didn't maybe want to go back to that. You said you wanted a new experience, but you didn't feel your familiarity would have been a boost or, a, you know, an advantage? Uh, I did... Uh consider that but i felt like gmat would be more challenging and exciting to solve that's why I and you were correct so there we go <laughs> okay so you've decided you're gonna punish yourself with the gmat you already took the gre you have your master's degree so you sort of you are familiar with testing yes. uh what was your uh, if you want me asking what was your quant verbal breakdown if you remember from that first mock um it was 30 six for quant and 23 for verbal. Okay, so there we are folks. For anyone keeping score, 36 quant, 23 verbal, that's our baseline. So when we're going through this, that's how we should interpret the uh, data. What was your timetable when you first decided to take the GMAT? Was it, I'm gonna study for a month and I'm gonna get a 780 and I'm, I'm gonna kill this thing? Or was it more I don't have to study for three, six, nine months, and uh, I'm looking for incremental progress to get to 700, 720, 740. Uh, yeah, so I think I started my prep like sometime in April, and I okay. said that I'm going to give myself three, two and a half to three months to get there, along with work. So my timetable was around two, two and a half hours every day would be dedicated to GMAT prep. Yeah. Um, but since I had some personal reasons come up, I could not give my exam in that timeline. And sort of I had to take a break of one month in between and I had to give my first attempt in August. So that sort of pushed my entire prep and there was a big disturbance there. And how did you feel that affected your uh, your prep? Did you feel that you saw a pretty significant regression during that time period? Um, so one thing is important to make, uh, remember is that you need to be in the rhythm of testing and in the rhythm of looking at questions. So I had a break of one month in between. So I had to like literally restart. Yes, I had covered the curriculum, but the practice of solving at least 10 questions of each type every day is very important. 
and okay. that sort of, that break in between was sort of detrimental to my first prep. Okay, so to pull us back, so I'm going to break this now up into two sections, which is the first part of it when you were studying in April, and then that second part when you started studying in August, because I feel maybe there's going to be a difference there. But when you first started studying, how were you studying and working, and how did that affect your uh, study schedule? I mean, were you were you studying on your lunch break? Were you getting up very early? Were you uh, going to bed very late? How were you balancing work and life? So I split this up into two parts. I used to get up early in the morning at 5 a.m. So before work, 5 to 6.30 was my dedicated time to do more of uh, verbal and quant, and verbal in terms of questions and quant in terms of concepts. So in the morning, I would spend time on more of quant concepts. And then during my travel, to work, I used to sort of keep uh, GMAT club questions on. So during travel, I made sure that I was doing digital stuff, which I could just sort of like read quickly. So sentence correction questions, or maybe even uh, CR was easy to do on the travel. Yeah. Yes, that makes me so happy because CR is, uh, CR happens to be my specialty and it, it just fills my heart with joy. I think you said you studied for two and a half hours a day. And you also mentioned that you were doing 10 questions of each section. Can I uh, give us a breakdown then of how you were balancing those questions? And by 10 questions, Dave, do you mean 10 DS, 10 PS, CR, SC, RC? Or did you mean 10 quant, 10 verbal? Um, So in my first half, which was in April, I used to do 10 quant and 10 verbal. But that sort of changed post-August. Post-August, it was 10 of each type. Okay, so let's stick with the April timeline then. So you're doing 10 quant, 10 verbal. You're doing two and a half hours a day. You are building your fundamentals. Let me ask, who are you using to help you uh, learn the quant and the verbal side? How? What were you doing to help? Um, so to start with my concepts, I took up e, um, sorry, EGMAT. Okay. Uh, so Kyle and Rajat, they lead that program and they have really good curriculum when it comes to verbal, I would say. I think for verbal, I really found their content to be very helpful because they have detailed explanation or videos. Uh, for quant, I felt they had a robust curriculum, uh, but the way they take you through the concepts was not that helpful, I would say. Uh, but the questions were on the spot, like really good level and tough ones. I would say like EG matters for somebody who is well-versed with their concept, then you have a really good platform at EGMAT to sort of just boost yourself up. I was sort of getting used to the concept, but that's why I think I was a slow learner on that front. Okay, so for those of you keeping score, EGMAT verbal, she says good. EGMAT quant sucks. So just just so that we're being clear here. Uh, so, okay, so you used EGMAT. I assume you're using GMAT Club as well to help supplement your questions, or did we yes. come into And along with that, that, I started working on the official questions. I think everybody should be very clear. Like, official questions is the go-to mantra for GMAT. Like, I did not pay enough importance to it in the first half, but eventually I realized that official questions mattered a lot, especially for quant, because one thing I realized that if in quant, if you cover all the official questions, you have sort of cracked all the types then. And then in GMAT, they sort of are playing around those types. So even if you don't know the same question, if you know the type, you can still solve through. So let me ask, we're, we're in April, or now we're probably into May. You're using eGMAT. You're doing 20 questions a day. You're learning and building your fundamentals. Did you take 
any practice tests prior to taking your first break? Um, yes, I did start taking a practice test around in end of May. Okay, end of May. So we're, we've studied for a month, six weeks, somewhere in that ballpark. And what was your score when you took that mock test? So I took an official test too, and I took a couple of Kaplan tests, and I was ranging between mm. 650 to 690 was, and I think I got at least on couple of scores, 700. That was where I was ranging, between 650 to 700. And what was the official mock, if you recall? Official mock was 690. Okay, there we go. That's, that is your baseline. Uh, for anyone wondering, GMAC puts out, Oh gosh, my memory's a little fuzzy right now. I believe it's five, it's four or five tests. And they give you two for, I'm sorry? We have six. Six, there we go. They give you six mock tests. You get two for free. You can buy the other four. Yes. Those are your gold standard benchmark, what you should be doing to physically understand where you are in your studying process. You cannot study for the GMAT like you do another test where you just repeat practice questions and eventually... Uh, and use your mock tests, and that's how you do it. Uh-uh. It takes a lot more than that. We're going to dive into that those specifics a little later, but just taking mock tests will not prepare you for this test. That's not how this works. Yep. Um, okay, so you got a 690 after six weeks of studying. You went from a 510? Yes. 510 to a 690. So huge 180-point jump right there. In the span of six weeks, just by doing 10 questions of quant and 10 questions of verbal a day and using EG mat. Yes, that's right. And the official questions. Yeah. And the official questions. Yeah. That is, a, that is outstanding. That is astounding. So break, help, help our users understand when you took each, um, I'm sorry, it's the wrong phrasing. When you did each question, the 10 quant and the 10 verbal, were you just taking them and saying, okay, I got this one right, got this one right, got this one wrong, okay, yes, I sort of understand, yep, 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 look, okay, I did, I did a good job, um, and moving on, or was there more to it than that? No, I think uh, specifically, I first, when I gave those 10 tests, or the, the 10 questions for each type, I would first focus on my timing. So after finishing the test, I would go back and review the timing overall, identify which were the ones that I was spending more than two minutes, which were the ones I was spending too little time. So then categorizing them into too fast or too slow, and then seeing within those too fast or too slow, how many I got right, how many I got wrong. And then first starting with the ones that I got wrong, why did I get them wrong? So maintaining a like a thorough error log. I think in the first time, I was not very focused on the error log which eventually I changed my technique. Uh, but in the first round till May, I only focused on the ones that I used to get wrong. I kept a tab of all the questions that I got wrong or I was too slow on. I did not keep a tab of the questions that I got right, which I should have. Well, so let me ask. Those you got wrong and those that you were too slow on, Yes. What did you do on those questions specifically? And the reason I'm hammering this is because, folks, this test is not about quantity. You could, and most people do, burn every official uh, guide question out there. You could do them all. If you don't take full advantage of them, 
you've wasted the question. And frankly, you're never going to break a 700, in my opinion. So that's why I want to focus on that. So can you tell our users here, what did you do with those once you understood you were wrong or you were slow on them? Uh, so first, identifying the question type, whether it is a bold face, whether it is a uh, uh, assumption, whether it's weakening. So like I, I realized that where am I falling on conceptual side? Where am I failing? And after that, reading through the explanation. So like understanding why did I eliminate? So also one technique that I developed was like in verbal, if I have five choices, I would, it would be easy for me to eliminate the three choices. But when it came to the last two, that's where I used to get stuck a lot in my first attempt. I think that's where it's about how good you are with your concepts, right? Or your technique of getting to that final elimination. Uh, yeah, so that is where I struggled a lot in my first half of my prep. Um, so I used to add a lot to see, like, where did I get stuck in the last two? Which were the nuances of whether I missed a keyword or whether I missed understanding a question? And that would be my reflection process in the end after during my error log. And I think EGMAT sort of had a very good template when it came to verbal error log, where they would make you through, like, think through every aspect of the question. Like, did you think this? Did you think through the uh, assumption? Did you think through the pre-thinking framework? Did, what did you miss in the pre-thinking framework? What was the confusion in the question that you got right and in the options that were given over there? So during, like, filling in all those types, I sort of understood, like, yeah, where am I confusing myself? Am I missing a few words? I had this habit of, like, if I see a few things, I would just assume that this is a question, and I would skim through the question at the, uh, for the remaining part, and that was my mistake. I realized I have to stop doing that. I have to read through the entire question, be very patient, and then start solving things. So that was an important change in my technique after I started maintaining the error log, that I have to read through the question correctly to see that I'm getting the keywords right. Otherwise, there is high chance that I would miss the important nuances of the question. And it's that type of introspection that gets you to that 700 mark and then beyond that 700 plateau. And folks, for those of you listening, I think what Rudy did was not only did she realize she was making stupid mistakes or you know common mistakes that are correctable, uh, missing a word, going too fast, but it sounds like she then broke down each answer choice. It sounds like she, you dove in and actually understood the comp each component of the question, each component of the answer, and understood why it was right, why it was wrong, and really committed yourself to understanding that process. Have, did I hear that correctly? Yes. So like understanding why an answer choice is wrong is also important because, yeah, you got the right one, but also why you're eliminating the others is important because that will help you in the future questions. And that right there is the biggest difference between those who are going to break 700 and those who aren't it's taking that time it's it's understanding why and saying okay i think i understand this versus i know i understand this and i know the fundamental reason behind it and i'm not going to make that same mistake again that is so key to your studying and I, now i'm not surprised you saw that rapid growth in six weeks or seven weeks in verbal because the answer choices are so close to each other that if you do not know why one particular question is out of scope or why is it wrong, it's you will sort of tend to go for the one which is like a trap. And GMAT is very good at putting those trap answers for you Always. to Always. Yeah. Always, which is why I recommend folks who are watching this, if, if you are part of GMAT Club, follow Generis. 
for sentence correction. Follow GMAT Ninja for sentence correction and critical reasoning. Follow Bunnell for quant. You do that because the test writers are not idiots. They're, they're geniuses. They're experts in the field. You, the point of following experts on the forum is that way you can understand how an expert thinks. Because if you understand how an expert thinks and breaks down a question, you're going to identify those traps because you're going to see them. You're going to say, oh, no, not today. That's, that is critical as well. Um, not to shill for GMAT Club, but... Yeah, and GMAT Ninja videos are amazing. Like, I used to watch them during my travel to work. And just even, like, seeing how he walks through elimination process for sentence correction was a, was a very good, helpful resource for me. You put yourself in his shoes and in his mindset, I imagine. Yes. That's the best thing you can do. So, 690, I forgot to ask. What was the quant verbal breakdown, if you recall? Uh, when I was at 690, I think I was hitting... Uh, Quant at around 47 and verbal around 33, 35. Okay. So we saw an 11-point increase on the quant in the verbal. We saw, is that a 12-point increase? Yes. Okay. So there. So we've seen rapid growth and it's been equal. So it's been quant and it's been verbal. You committed to both. You've been studying now for six or seven weeks. Did you have a weak point in quant or verbal that you felt you needed to focus on more? For example, was it critical reasoning? Was it sentence correction? Was it uh, data sufficiency uh, data sufficiency geometry? Where were you seeing some of those weaker points? Um, I think uh, the advanced questions, I was somehow scared of the advanced questions in quant, which sort of covered probability, uh, permutation combinations, those were the ones where I realized that I would spend more time. I would get them right, but I was spending a lot of time. And that was like a loss for overall score. Um, in verbal, I would say I saw weakness in CR because my practice was really good. But I think when it came to the exam, like within that time frame to solve through the entire, all the pre-thinking through the elimination, I would not sort of complete through. So th that was my weakness. Okay. And once you hit your 690, did you say, okay, I know I'm here in order to just get a little bit higher and break through. I need to focus on critical reasoning or I need to focus on the advanced questions. Or were you saying, you know what, let me stay in my routine. Let me continue to build upon what I've done so far. And we'll hopefully get to that point eventually. What was your mindset after the 690? I think the latter. I was like, okay, let me stick to what I've done because I've achieved this whatever 100 plus point jump. So I think I'm doing something right. I'm in the right direction. So I just thought that, yeah, maybe I will manage to cross the 700 mark in my first attempt. So that was my mindset at that point. Okay. So we've, we're at a 690. When did you take your break? Um, so immediately after that, like the whole June through July, I had to sort of, for a personal reason, I had to be off my studies. Um, so that was a break. And I got back to studying around third week of July. And the first week of August, I took my first attempt. Okay. So we've taken some time off. Was it difficult for you to get started again studying? Or did you know in the back of your mind that, you know what, this going to business school, getting an MBA, this is my dream. I'm going to do whatever it takes to claw back and get started again. Um, I think I was motivated enough to like, okay, I can do this. Let's sit through this. Let's see where we land up. Uh, so I didn't want to give up. 
I was like, okay, even if I do not crack it, let's just give this exam and see where I land up, and then we'll see what to do after that. And if you don't mind me asking, did the did that personal situation, the two month break, did that provide maybe a wall they had to push through? Seeing yourself st- having studied for six, seven weeks, you've seen this rapid growth, and all of a sudden now you're sort of having to set uh, step back, reset. Did that maybe put some doubt in your mind? Did you ever question anything? Uh, yeah, I did question like, is this the right time to give this exam or do I need to prioritize other things? So that reflection was sort of going on like, do I have the time and the commitment needed to go through this or do I need to focus on other things in personal life? And again, how did you get to that point of saying this is we're we're going to push through? Was it with the help of friends? Was it family? Was it or was it simply just sitting there and saying, you know what? Again, I want this and I know I can do it. So I'm going to do it. Um, I'll be very honest. My partner, he pushed me. Like he said that we get it. You, we've got a lot of things going on. But then if this is important to you, we should go for it. And I think he was the main support for me to like get through whatever I've done so far. And if I may ask, did your boyfriend, partner, uh, did, did he take the GMAT or seeing grad school? Yes, he's done the GMAT like ah. a couple of years back, he scrapped it through. So he knew what I was going through. So he sort of was my guide through the entire process. So I can imagine he was a he was very helpful, not only uh, in terms of content and uh, helping you, as you've already said, guide you, but probably uh, emotionally as well, being there for you to vent to, but also having gone through it, you understand that he has the empathy to actually understand where you're coming from. Yes, yes. Like he's he had got a seven thirty or seven forty in his attempt, so like he knew what I needed to do to get there. So he sort of identified where was I going wrong, what was I missing in my process to like prep. He kept pushing me to read up. Um, I must say this is a very good resource, uh, Manhattan blog. Like they have very good resource when it comes to timing uh, prep or like preparing for your exam. That was very good blog to read. Is he watching this right now? Uh, no, he isn't. He's at work. No! I like when couples are on here and it becomes a surprise session where we do the, you know, the boyfriend, girlfriend, the husband, wife. All right, next time. Okay. Well, so I will reason- share this link with him and I'll make sure that he listens to this. <laughs> so the reason I emphasize that is because support networks are big, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you need that support network. Going at it alone is a daunting task because you're always you're always going to have that doubt. I haven't met a single person who's sat there and coasted through and never had a shred of doubt. We all hit that point at one stage and you need the help of your friends or your family or something to help get you over that because it's a dark time. With Riddy, she had her boyfriend who it seems had a tremendous impact uh, on her and her ability to succeed. So don't underestimate how important it is for the love of whatever, whatever you pray to don't underestimate it. Yeah. I think it's important to share your journey with somebody. So if whether it's your highs or lows, like just keep somebody part of your journey so they can listen to you. And that sounding board is very important to the entire journey. And for those watching, if you have parents who I know a lot of, uh, Indian applicants, and I know a lot of uh, Asian applicants, and by that I mean China, Japan, the, the Asian countries, 
I know a lot of their families are very demanding and don't have, traditionally speaking, again, I'm painting with a broad brush, I understand that, but traditionally speaking, tend to be very demanding and tend to expect success and results. They don't expect you to have that step back. They don't expect you to struggle. If you feel that that, that you can't really turn to your family and your friends are maybe you know, getting 780s and you don't want to talk to them, come on the forum. Come on GMAT Club. We have a general op options uh, place where you can post, invent, and have others come and help you through it. I promise. You're not the only one. I've spoken to way too many people who are in that situation. Don't keep it bottled up. Go on the forum, post about it, and connect with those who are in a similar spot. Or reach out to me. I'll, I'll message you back. I message everybody back. So don't find a support network for um for anything and everything please in this process and use us me to the best you can sorry for that personal message we kind of went off on a tangent there but it is important, it's important. um yeah. okay so for two months you, you know you broke through the wall you had a lot of support which is amazing and you also had the background in saying i've already done this once i can do this again i've already shown myself i can succeed you started in late July, early August. You took a practice test. How did you practice test that first time around? Um, so early August, my first attempt. Before that, I think I did do a practice test before going for the August attempt, which was, I think I landed again around 6, 7, 6 16 before my first okay. attempt. So we've, we've seen some. Yeah, I did see scores go down, but I felt like, okay, I've got a 690 in the past. If I just keep practicing, I will hit at least that much score in my first attempt, but that did not happen. Unfortunately, I reached a 620 in my first attempt at GMAT. And did you see, when you first started getting back up on the horse here, did you see like, oh man, I should, dang it, I should have had that question, or wait, I know how to do this, wait, 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 is is, a, is it a 30, 60, 90, is it X, X root 2, 2X, or is it X, X, X root 3? Like, did you sort of see that rust, or was it pretty much still ingrained in your memory? Um, yeah, I think that was that. Like, I was just sort of getting a little blurred when it came to a few things, small details while solving the questions. And that's why I took longer to solve the questions. And I think in the first attempt, my, my whole strategy where it went wrong was timing practice. Uh, because I think I had not been in a good rhythm before the exam, my timing was not that well based out. And I sort of fumbled over there because and I, I did not let go of my questions. I had this one problem where I would be like, I want to solve this question. If this is a hard level, I cannot let it go. And that's why I got sort of stuck on one particular question in my quant attempt. And that sort of had a domino effect on my entire performance thereon. And I did quant first and verbal second. So my attempt just sort of my performance just went downwards in that first attempt. Yeah. So that's why I knew that I got a quant 48 in my first attempt, and I got a verbal 30, uh, 29, verbal, verbal 29. Okay, so, so your verbal was the place where you saw the drawdown. Yeah, because I think I was sort of disturbed by how I performed on that whatever particular few questions in quant, and that sort of affected my verbal. So let me ask, what was it when you started back up again that you started doing 10 questions of each section, or was it after your first, that mock where you got 660 that you said, okay, now I'm going to do 10 of each? No, after I got the 620, I came back. I was like dejected. I was wondering whether oh, I should do a second I'm sorry. attempt. Yeah, I was wondering whether I should do a second attempt or whether I should just rethink the way I'm doing this. 
And that's when I got uh, in touch with Crack Verbal. Um, I took up like just specific verbal training with them because I felt like I think quant I was. I think quant because as Indians, we are really good with maths. So I think that's something that we've got luckily from our school training. So I was confident about like being okay with my quant. I wanted to sort of focus on my verbal. And that's when I mean I started with verbal, uh, crack verbal. They sort of told me like you have your concepts in place. It's just that your strategy of solving the questions needs to be worked on. So why don't you start working on each type question 10 each? And that's how they got me into this practice. I'm sorry. Did, so was that an official take that 620 or was that a yes. mock test? Okay. Okay. So I, I was confused there. So you took a mock, you got 660. You then went for it and said, okay, let's see if we can break through. You got, you got 620. Your verbal was a pre, was pretty disappointing. Yeah. And instead of feeling dejected in that moment, you decided, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to get again, pushed through of all. I know I can do better. I know that I'm going to do better. And you went to crack verbal, if I may ask. So you said at the beginning that EGMAT, you actually found their verbal to be pretty helpful, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Why did you decide to go to crack verbal instead? Um, with crack verbal, I got this. I found this one option, which was good enough for like just having this 10 hours of uh, mentor training where I could sort of literally solve questions with them where I got stuck and they would solve it. And then they were very good in terms of also like answering my questions and queries on email or on WhatsApp as quickly as possible. So I wanted that kind of a personal mentoring only for the verbal part. And that sort of worked out well with crack verbal. And did you feel with crack verbal again? Was it was it critical reasoning that sank you or did you feel, you know, it was all of them that kind of sank you? Um, so they sort of worked, they had three introductory sessions for each type where they saw how I was solving each question type. And then they helped me identify my weakness when it came to sentence correction CR and for RC. Um, and in my first attempt, I realized that I I was confident about RC, but somehow I did not score well in RC as well. So RC and CR were my weaker points after my first attempt is where I identified. SC, I was like doing really good. So SC, I was not worried about. So I had to sort of focus on RC and CR. So for RC, what they advised me was to sort of develop patience uh, because long passages getting sure that you're getting the details right, it sort of becomes difficult, right? When you're like doing this in the exam rhythm. Um, so they made me develop this habit where I would sit through five continuous passages out of which three would be the long types and two would be short types. And they did that by just filtering GMAT Club RC uh, resources. So G, um, I would identify RC resources, official ones. So I would advise everybody to sort of try and filter for official tags on GMAT Club because those are the types that are really important. And with Crack Verbal, I realized that the R passages were there, but I, the quality was not that great. So I sort of wanted to concentrate only on the official type questions. And that's so important. So um, for Quant, you can use almost any source. Um, it is very, very difficult for a prop company to screw up a Quant question. Uh, Boonell, the AI supercomputer of GMAT Club, writes hours, does a very good job. As you can see, it's very difficult to screw up a question. Verbal, it is incredibly easy to screw up a question by the prep companies. Yes. Stick to OG, which is official guide, GMAT prep, which is the official materials, and LSAT. Those three sources, should we have them all on GMAT Club. They're all free. LSAT, we have, I think think over 2000 we may have 3000 cr questions and i think we have 
a couple hundred RC LSATs, like in total. Um, use use them for the love of again whoever you pray to for love of God. Use them. Be, don't use non-official sources because that is when you build bad habits. Because they say use this, not that. Kaplan, chief example. And when that happens, you go and take a real exam. You say, oh, this, not that, and you get it wrong. And that's where your score gets pummeled. Official, official, official only for verbal. So, really, thank you for emphasizing Yes, that. the quality matters a lot. And I realized that, like, EG might have a really good quality of verbal questions. With Krakow, I did not find the same. That's why I stuck to official and just GMAT club. Yes. We appreciate that. Um, okay. So now we're on to crack verbal, where building our concepts. But now instead of doing 10 questions for quant and 10 questions for ver verbal, we're now doing 10 RC, 10 CR, 10 SC, 10 DS, 10 PS. Yes. That's 50 questions. I have to imagine the amount of time you committed to studying probably went up a little bit from that two hours that you pitched to us back in April. Yes, it did. Uh, so I used to spend my early mornings on the verbal side. Uh, then I used to take my lunch breaks. I would spend at least, say, half an hour in between my lunch breaks on doing quant or maybe DS. And then in the evening, I would spend the first one hour after work on doing my question sets. And then after that, I would spend whatever time left on the concept revision or official questions. Okay, so did I hear, I mean, ballpark four hours a day, give or take, maybe five? Five hours. Okay, so we've gone from two hours to five hours a day. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an important distinction to make because if you are going to succeed on the exam, again, teach their own. Some believe it's a marathon. Some believe it's a sprint. It all depends on your time frame. If it's a marathon, you can do two hours a day. You can build slowly. If you want to build quickly, it takes five, six hours a day, and you have to make it quality five six hours a day not just writing down a hundred answers yes um and i have to imagine you were still reviewing every question you were still breaking them down you were maintaining your error log you were still trying to figure out where you were slow and where you were getting things consistently wrong correct yes and also my amount of uh, giving uh, mock sort of increased i then dedicated my weekends to giving mocks so my weekdays would be just focusing on the question types and then doing a sectional uh, mocks, but my weekend would be like giving one full mock so that I could spend, so Saturday would be the mock exam, Sunday would be the time where I would actually spend time only on the error log for the entire mock. And let me ask, why do you feel you were taking more mocks? Was it to build your endurance? Was it to try and quell some of the anxieties that maybe you felt in your first exam? Or what, I mean, was it to get your body in the, I guess, spirit and mood of taking an exam around a similar time? Or was it simply to give yourself that benchmark and to figure out where you were uh, and how you were progressing? So I focused the sectional mocks on more about the score. And the overall mock was more about sitting at the same time and I was going to give my next official attempt. So the same time frame. Uh, seeing my routine from morning to evening, if I'm giving, I was going to give a 4 p.m. attempt, right? So I used to sort of start my day at 7 a.m. and then see how am I going to have like my lunch break? What am I going to revise for the exam? And then how relaxed am I going to be before I leave? And what's going to be my travel mode? So just sort of planning that through and then giving the exam at that time was important because that sort of affects me. Like for me, sunlight is important, right? So like how, what time of the day am I giving the exam? What would affect the way I would uh, respond to the questions. 
and that is also important, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It you need to know what you are as a test taker. Some people want to take it in the early morning. Some people want to take it in the afternoon. Some at night. You need to know what suits you the best, so that way you perform at your peak performance. It and I must pretty say that bad. I would prefer morning. Like my first attempt was in the morning, but after that, I never got an attempt in the morning because, like. Round one was sort of coming up. I think people were giving a lot of exams, so it was very difficult to get a time slot. Yeah, so then I was just sort of forced to sort of time my body to give an exam in the evening. And you were prepping as such. Yes, and okay. I would say that this was sort of told to me by my boyfriend because he said that you have to sort of prepare yourself for this. You have to decide what you're going to eat. What are you going to like? Uh, take in your exam as your sugar boost. What's going? Is it going to be tang? Is it going to be juice? Is it going to be a candy bar? Just decide all of that from now on, so you know what's going to bring you the right energy levels. And that is great advice as well. Uh, I had friends who bought their favorite snack, and you know, for some it was gushers, some they had mini M and M's, pieces of chocolate. I mean, you name it make yourself feel a little bit better and give yourself sugar is incredibly important, borderline critical because that's what your brain uses to function. Don't, don't undersell it. Um, also eating right, sleeping important. Mental health is important too. make sure to relax. And really you were studying a lot. Did you do, did you exercise? Did you find time to read? Um, what were you doing to try and sort of unwind between studying and working? Um, yeah, so I luckily I have a very good reservoir right behind my house. So I was to I used to go for jogs, and before my exam, I made it a point that because I had taken some time off, I would make sure that I would go and jog every day in the morning for at least one hour. That is and so that was important. That would let me like just reflect on what I'm doing, where I'm, how my place mentally, how strong am I to give this exam, uh, all of it. And folks, mental health is as important as physical health. When you're exercising, you are doing both, and it is unbelievably important. I can't un, uh, I can't oversell this enough. To exercise, to help yourself quell anxiety, and to keep your body functioning at peak performance. So, really and good also job. on the day of the mock, like whenever I gave a mock, after that I would just sort of relax. I would not try and study again because then I'm like just mentally stressing myself out. I would either watch a movie or go out with friends. I think that helped me, like. Because in my after my August attempt, I sort of started hitting 700, 740 in my mocks. Um, because I think oh, I was wow. planning myself well, where I used to sort of take time off to go out and meet my friends or to go out to see a movie. And then I would give my mock a day or two later. So I was fresh socially and also fresh in terms of having energy. So let me ask, your first attempt at 620, did you feel anxiety played any role in the score? Uh, like during the exam? Yeah. Did did you feel anxiety may have hampered your score in some capacity? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think anxiety played a big, big uh, factor in my score going down. And how did you and try also to correct Also, because that? a few things that I had prepared for did not go the way. Like I had prepared to sort of prepare my whiteboard uh, for two minutes, right? And in the exam, I just got 30 seconds. So like that sort of just uh, sort of derailed me from my prep the way I wanted the quant to be done. Like I had this habit of dividing my each page into four sections and writing the time on the top uh, top part. Uh, but I could not do that for the first attempt. And that's how I got mentally disturbed. Like I could not track myself which question I am on or at what time I am on. Um, 
so that was one big uh, hurdle over there and that made me anxious mm-hmm. yeah and also i think um, during the break i i told myself okay quant has been a little messed up i can do still catch up on the verbal but i think that fear was already instilled into my mind and that anxiety just sort of took over everything that i did my in my verbal okay and then how were you able to help prepare yourself was it meditation was it thinking i've done this before no big deal how were you able to conquer that factor because that's a huge component to the test is being able to get over the fear and anxiety um so crack verbal sort of taught me this like do 10 questions just sort of take a break for like 5 seconds and like just stretch yourself out when you're giving these sexual mocks so i started doing that like i would after every 10 questions i would just sort of take 5 seconds to see where am i in the exam and how am i feeling about it and that helped me okay so you didn't again meditate you didn't try and do any of that you were just let me take some time after each question yes deep yeah. breath now let me go to the next one next one yep yep and also after every attempt like if i would uh, and i changed my technique i then did verbal first and i i did quant second because i felt quant was my forte and my verbal was a weaker one so let's start with verbal when i have more energy because when even you're starting the exam you have more energy right um so i did that and i i would sort of uh, before the exam i would just sort of like tell myself okay deep breaths five deep breaths before you start the exam and like just be like i can do this so that was my mantra that sounds like it worked given your result now tell me you got the 620 you were doing taking crack verbal you were doing mocks at what point did you say to yourself i'm ready i'm ready to get into the test center again or take it online and i'm ready to bang this thing out to finish it um so i think i got like consistently around in four official mocks i got like 740 720 so i was like okay now i think i'm ready to do this Okay. So it was through the official mocks you had taken them, your timing was good, you were hitting on all cylinders. You took the test. You you got the 720. What was that breakdown? Um verbal was 40 and quant was 49. So you did incredibly well. That's only a 720. I thought that'd be higher. Uh I think I I know where I, where that went wrong. I think in my last uh, in my quant uh i missed my last two questions and i feel that oh, was yeah. i got from 50 to 49 that is the only reason i see my score not hitting 740 but still 720 is an incredible score it is a great 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 score uh for those of you watching i think that puts you around the 93rd percentile yes i think so 94 94th percentile 94 <laughs> okay so How were you um through your testing how were you able to avoid the traps and the pitfalls of um, the test of those test makers was it we've discussed in the past a little bit but I want to reiterate this topic for those watching was it the fact that you had prepared so well that you could sit there and say uh you know what I I know that trick I can, I see what they're trying to do here it's not going to get me today uh I think uh, one thing I realized that I have to avoid getting continuous wrong. So like in my mock I did this thorough analysis where I saw that how was I doing in the first 10 questions. And I know that there are these lot of blogs on uh, GMAT club where some people give a lot of importance to the first 10, some people do not. 
And I sort of did did read through all of those mocks, uh, those blogs, and I did my own analysis. Again, uh, credits to my partner for that. He pushed me on that. So I sort of started focusing on how much time I'm going to spend on the first 10. What's my accuracy on the first 10? Uh, because I did sort of see some connection where I realized that if I get the first 10 right at 90 plus or 80 percent plus, my score sort of was doing considerably well. But if I got, say, 70 less or 60 percent, then my overall score was sort of going to be low because then I was not hitting anything higher than the medium type questions. So I sort of focused on the first 10 a lot, um, making sure what was my pattern. I kept uh, a, a detailed error log where I tracked how many, what was my accuracy, what was the timing that I was spending and how much time do I need to save on. I did a thorough analysis of that and that sort of made me sure, I, I made sure that I learned how to avoid errors in my first 10 questions to begin with. And then on the last 10, mm -hmm. I was like, I cannot miss these anymore because if I miss this, that means I'm going to get a string of wrongs because I might just like, I, I made sure that I did not like, miss anything in terms of like, just they are taking off the questions, but not getting time to solve them. That means I'm going to get them wrong. Right. So at least I will not get the penalty for missing the questions, but how do I make sure that I have enough time left in the last 10 so that I do not go wrong. Um, so focusing on the first and the last 10 was my trick. But that might not be the right one for everybody else. Well, so I was going to say uh, two things. One, I actually don't know. And I've seen some people say, no, the first 10 is, is critical. It sets up the entire exam. I've seen others say, no, it, it, you know, it has not, it's the same qu 10 questions, whether it's the first 10, middle 10, last 10, it doesn't really matter. It, you, yeah. you just can't do poorly. Um, so I actually don't know whether what are rumors and what aren't. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like, I don't think there is a one formula to it, but at least that's how it worked for me. Because in my first attempt, when I realized that in quant, I had got like only two wrong up till my third section. And in the last section, I ran out of time and I like almost got 50% of my questions wrong in the last 10. And that's where how my score just felt considerably down. And that hurt that hurt me in a long way, right? So you can't get continuous questions wrong. That's very important. And please be focusing on that. You get wrong at what stages is important. If you get one wrong in the first few second, has a two or three, and then in the end you get one or two wrong, that's not gonna hurt you. But if you get a continuous set wrong, that's gonna hurt you a lot. And just to add on to that, the GMAT and the GRE, uh, again, they're both adaptive tests. If you get easy and medium ones wrong, the test is going to kill you for that. Yes. If you get the hard ones right, but you get easy ones wrong, the it's test, gonna it's going to say, it's going to say, well, you got, you know, you got lucky on the hard ones and you can't do basic arithmetic. You have to get the easy and medium ones right. If you can then get the hard ones right, kudos. If not, guess, because if you get those first two sections wrong, you're never going to get a high score. Yep. So don't screw up on those would be my advice. Uh, yes, and for that, like, uh, official questions are really good when it comes to easy and medium. Like, solve them through. Like, I know a few people have this habit of, like, just going to the last section where you have all the hard questions. Do not really raise yourself to that. Start with the easy ones. Build your momentum up. Well, so let me... Black Mobile made me focus on that. Like, they told me after my first attempt that, why don't you focus on the easy and medium time? Because if you save time on that, you will eventually be able to crack the hard ones because you have a framework set. You need to sort of create time for the hard questions. So try to get your easy and medium right and easy with good efficiency and accuracy. And it sounds like that plan worked for you. Yes, it did. 
Um, so I have about three questions left and then we'll go to our uh, user questions. The first is when you were taking the test, were you one of the people who sitting there and saying, oh, that was an easy question. Oh no, where did I screw up? I, you know, was my score going to be impacted or were you someone who was saying, I'm just going to take the test. I'm going to do these questions no matter what they look like. I know that I know my stuff and I know that I'm going to do well. Mm. So like, were you consciously looking at it and saying, oh no, that, that was definitely a 600 level question. What did I do wrong? Uh, I think in my mocks, I did not really think of that, but in the exam, I must be honest, like once I started seeing probability questions, statistic questions come up, I was like, okay, I'm doing something right. That means because I'm hitting more of these. So I was happy about it. But in a mock, I think I was more focused on like timing strategies. Yeah. And but to in be the honest, exam, I, I just actually... sort of like think the way you said that right now, okay, yeah, I am hitting the higher level question. That means something is going right. I would prefer students took the mindset of your mocks, which is focus on timing, focus on timing. Don't focus on the content because you yeah. become your own worst enemy when you start seeing, okay, hard questions. Okay. I'm doing good. Oh wait, easy questions. Oh no. What I do wrong. Yeah. I never thought of this in my mock. In my okay. mock it's always about like, let's focus on the timing. Am I at the right mark at the right spot? That's all. Um, yeah. So my second question, IR and AWA, did you focus on them? Did you uh, study for them at all? If so, what'd you use? Uh, for IR, I just, like, since I had done all the six official questions, official mocks, I just used those as my IR prep. And I think in the IR, first time when I did it with the four, five ten score, I just could get four. But yeah. eventually, when I started giving more and more, I was hitting, like, seven or eight consistently. So I was confident. I didn't need to, like, prep more. And I think once you are done with your fundamentals for verbal and quant, you will be able to get through IR. For sure. But I know one thing that you should not get less than four or less than five on IR because that can actually be a good marker of your ability to solve questions. Even if your verbal or quant is not that great, your IR should be decent enough. Like I know a few people do not focus on IR at times. Uh, do not do that. It is going to be important when it comes to overall application package. Your IR should be at least five plus. And that's actually why I mentioned it, which is if you get a good score on the GMAT, that's your first priority. The second priority is then to not screw up AWA and IR because you know, now I've spoken at length to adcoms and I've done videos with them about this. Is it going to make or break your profile? Maybe, maybe not, but it's, it's a data point that they look at. And yep. if they see that you shirked your responsibilities and just said, screw it, that does reflect on you. And it may very well be the difference so don't ignore that yes um, yeah for sure and for awa i just sort of uh, like gmat club had this good resources where i got like a good list of all the different awa questions so i just sort of downloaded that and i read through a few samples and, just, and being and i think reading like reading economic times reading washington post helped me like Crack Verbal sort of pushed me for that. They gave me a few list of resources that I should keep reading to develop that argumentation understanding. How does one argument a topic? So that helped me to even in my AWA prep. And it worked. My last question is reflecting back on this and now, and then folks will transition to your questions and we'll try and wrap up uh, in the next six or seven minutes. Reflecting back, what would you have done differently or what would your advice be to those who are now starting their journey or maybe they're struggling and they're in the middle of their journey? What 
what do you want to tell them that we haven't touched on? Um, okay. Uh, I think one thing that sort of changed what I scored in my first attempt in my final attempt was that my prep, like I was very specific that my whiteboard should look like this. And I got two attempts to sort of like, you know, finalize that. Everybody should not have to go through so many attempts to like crack that through. So yeah, decide how you want to be in the exam, whether you want to do it at home. If home is your comfortable environment, do it at home. If you really want to go test center, like for me, uh, the test center was important because I want to get that exam feel, right? So I decided to stick to the exam center. I did not ever think of taking the, uh, the exam at, uh, at home. And uh, then after that, I decided, okay, I am going to sort of read through what all is possible when it comes to prepping myself. Like, can I spend my time in between choosing the schools and between starting like and getting my whiteboard ready? And yes, yeah, so please read the rules very clearly. And you don't want to break any of them, but there is enough leeway where you can figure out your sweet spot, how to prep for the exam. And I would... People do not focus on this, I think. People are just focusing, okay, I have to just go and solve the questions. But no, before that, you need to be in the right frame of mind. Everything has to fall in place because GMAT is not only about getting the scores right, but also how smartly you solve them. And it took me two attempts to get there, but I think people can crack that in less than that. That is great advice. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, again, all that introspection, making sure that what you're doing is what fits for you yes. and is what you want. So with that said, so we're now going to shift. Um, actually, you know what, really fast, any future plans? When, when do you apply to business schools or have you already applied and do you know where you're going? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to apply in round two. Okay. Yeah. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. Um, so really fast, these questions, hopefully that we can get through them quickly. Did she mention and did she maintain an analog? Yes, she did. And that was covered. GMAT Club also has an error log that is uh, that occurs automatically. So make sure to leverage that. Um, big question. This one from Akil. How many days in total did you spend on EGMAT, EGMAT? Towards the end of the course, did the mentors uh, help you? I heard there's something called the last mile program in EGMAT where the mentors themselves personally choose you to help with you with your prep if you are doing really well in the course did that happen with you so i had done all my fundamental prep with egmat so i stuck to egmat throughout so even when i got crackable on board for my material reference it was always egmat because i was familiar with that format and the way they had explained the concepts uh, i did not take the last mile program because i got crackable on board uh but they are they have really good sectional mocks and they also have very good uh uh scholarly name program where you, they actually sort of curate the official questions for you. So that helped me. So I did not leave the eGMAT platform at all. Let me be honest over that. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So anyone who wants to use eGMAT, sounds like Ready is... The content is, is really good. Sounds like Ready's a fan. There we go. Um, I know they're a sponsor GMAT Club. I promise she was not brought on here for... Uh, for that, I, I promise all of you. Again, she's not being compensated in any way, shape, or form. This is strictly above board. Uh, Sohart said this was a good interview, so bravo to you. Akil wants to know, where did your boyfriend uh, attend his MBA program? Um, he did not uh, use the GMAT score. He went to an Indian school. He went to IIM. So, yeah, oh, okay. not, a, not a B school in USA. That's still a very good program. Yes, he went to the um, dog IIM in India, yeah. 
So AJB says anything above 650 is a great score. Focus more on overall application of colleges. I actually disagree with that. A 650 is a good score, but if you're of a certain demographic, Indians in particular, a 650 is not going to get you into anything in the top 25 unless you've cured cancer. Um, and that's just the way it is. You you definitely need a higher score than that. Um, yeah, and I come from a design background, and I was told that you are coming from a different background. Maybe less than 700 will help, but I was I realized that, no, that's not going to work. 700 plus is what's going to get me in a better league. And that's just, again, American institutions, the affirmative action law that colleges use to justify saying, oh, well, we can make Indian applicants score higher is currently under review by the United States Supreme Court. It is very likely it will be overturned, meaning universities will not be able to admit or deny you based on your gender, race, religion, so on and so forth meaning the overrepresented majority or my or underrepresented minority is very likely going to cease which would probably be good uh, for candidates i'm not a lawyer i study for the lsat but i'm not a lawyer so that may be completely false who knows just potentially uh coming down the pike and want to clarify that although aj i'm sure had great intentions stating this may not be the best advice um Hina says, what were your sources for the mocks for outside the official ones that you used? So Crackwobble gave me access to five mocks and EGMAT also had given me access to five mocks. So I had, and also Kaplan. So I did use a couple of resources, uh, but I would still say that give importance to only your official mock scores. The remaining are just for practice, for timing. Uh, score wise, whatever you get in the official mocks is what you should focus on. That makes sense. By the way, Akil, I see you posted your question twice. Yes, we did get to it. No, it's not just YouTube. So for those posting, I apologize. Hina said, can you elaborate on your target school? Any counselors you are seeking for help? Can you talk a little bit about your grand postgrad uh, background? So I think she's asking, are you using a consultant to help you? And can you talk about your previous master's degree? Because that does separate you from the pack a little bit. Uh, yes, so I have a master's degree from MIT. I have a master's in city planning. Um, and I have uh, planning to apply only to GSP and Harvard as of now. So fingers crossed. You sure you don't want to expand that list a little bit? Uh, no. Yeah, I'm being very focused. Okay. Um, I, one of my moderators got into both. Um, just you're, you've chosen the two single most hardest MBA programs get into in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, challenging for the stars, I suppose. Um, yeah. And for the counselor, I did speak to a couple of counselors. So, so yeah, I think one advice is like talk to as many counselors as you can before making a choice. Do not settle for one. And I'm still in the process of deciding that I'm being slow on that one. And I would recommend, uh, using a consultant, uh, I know yes, that, that, may, that, that may sound biased given I work for GMAT Club, and yes, we have consultants who do sponsor our website. I I personally believe they are a tremendous help. You need to find a good one. Bad ones will screw you, and they'll steal your money, and they'll do nothing for you. A good one will take a, a no to a wait list and a wait list to an acceptance. So they can't they can't take a no to a yes, but they'll take you from the fence to the, to the other side. And that's where the value add is. And that's why I personally believe in their products. 
Yes. Uh, so talk to as many counselors as you can understand their process and also see what kind of attention, like everybody needs different kind of attention. So I'm looking for somebody who can understand my non-tech background because majority of the candidates who go to B schools are like from FinTech or tech and they used to need that kind of background. So try to find your sweet spot again, even in this one. Couldn't agree more. Find someone who's going to never to lie to you. Find someone who's willing to say, no, you can't get into A, B, and C, but we can get you into D, E, and F. Find someone who's willing to say no. Because there are plenty who will say, of course we can get you into Harvard. Of course we can get you into Stanford. Yeah, we'll get you into I'm being very ambitious. Like all the counsel I spoke to, like, are you sure you want to like stick to only two? Do you, do you want to expand? So that has been my reality. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sorry for questioning it, but I had the same reaction, which is like, you know, you're shooting for the stars. Bravo. I, I applaud you and I'll, I'll, I will root for you and pull for you. But that's because I already come with a master's, right? But uh, honestly, if I was somebody who was doing this immediately after my undergrad, I would have applied to at least seven schools because then I would categorize my ambitious, my for sure and easy ones. That would have been my approach because when I did my master's, I did apply to five schools in the past before going to MIT. So yeah, just because I'm an exception doesn't mean that, sorry? You went to MIT? Yes. Wow. Okay. So there we go, folks. This is a, this is an incredibly bright woman. Um, uh, so yeah, but uh, honest opinion, focus on at least doing five applications, nothing less than that when it comes to first time applying to B schools. That's what I, my way, I personally, not, not the biggest fan of Stanford, uh, huge fan of Harvard, uh, but uh, I could give you my list a different time, but uh, moving on because we are coming up against it. Great listening to you, Riddy. Can you give your top tip on how to improve in CR and RC from V26? Um, sure. Uh, so for RC, um, one trick that Crack Mobile helped me was like doing five passages every day, developing the patience to like read through different questions and detail, like identify which is your weakness when it comes to RC, right? My weakness was identifying the passage type. Um, so I focus on that, like what vocabulary is showing up in these questions? Can I understand the question? Because sometimes the vocabulary which shows up is not known to you. So you have to make a guess over there. So learn how to do that. And for that, start keeping a, I had a big error log where if there's something new that came up, I made sure that I put that into that error log where I was something new I did not know a word that I did not know of. I made note of that. So that was for RC. And for CR, I uh, focused on doing 10 official questions every day for CR because I think for CR, the explanation that they have an official guide is really good. And then if, if that was not enough, I would go on to GMAT Club because mostly all the questions show up on GMAT Club as well. And you should sort of read through those explanations. Detailed explanations is very important when it comes to CR because CR is not about, okay, it's not grammar, right? It's about logical thinking. So developing a good logical mindset is important over there. And if I can add on, uh, CR and RC happen to be my two areas of expertise that to me signals that your fundamentals are a little weak and by that i mean you probably struggle with negation for assumption questions you probably don't know your conclusions and premise uh indicators and you're getting bogged down and you're you probably don't understand how those work together i wrote guides on each they're on the forum they're on my profile i'd recommend you read both because for cr that's critical for rc it's all about annotating and outlining. If you can do that, I feel like that helps a tremendous amount of students that we don't have to go back to the chapter, or I'm sorry, the paragraph every time you need to remember something. So focus on those two things. Um, but a V26 isn't terrible. At least, no, you have the groundwork. 
laid. Um, he asked, what's the whiteboard trick you mentioned a couple of times? Um, so you have a clock timer that shows up on the GMAT exam on the right-hand side, right? Uh, but you cannot keep track of that. So I was sort of trained by, in EGMAT also talks about it in Crack Mobile, they made me sort of come up with time components where I had to make sure that by in 20 minutes into the exam, I had to be on the 11th question. So deciding my those marks and writing that on every page. So every time I wanted to know if I'm doing okay or no, I would just sort of see where, which question I'm on and which where I had to be. And if there was a catcher that had to be done, then I would sort of push myself to get back on track by that time. So at every uh, page, just write down what's your time marker that needs to be met with. And I think Manhattan Prep uh, sort of elaborates that in more detail. So if you want to know more about that, just go on to Manhattan Prep's blog. And lastly, uh, Akhil says, if I need a good mentorship, which course would you suggest? Um, By mentorship, I think he means like somebody to help guide him through the exam. Although I don't want to speak for him in that regard. Like I, I just use two resources. I do not know the other resources. Um, Content-wise, EGMAT was great. Mentor-wise, Crackmobile was great for me. And I mean... GMAT Club, there are plenty of reviews. Uh, there are plenty of places that you can find uh, additional content. I know some of our users like Empower uh, as a course, some like Target Test Prep, um, some like eGMAT, some like Crack Verbal, some like GMAT Wiz. It all depends. Uh, finally, I would like to use this opportunity to appreciate Evan and thank GMAT Club for these insightful events. Thanks to Rudy for her time. Also, if I have to message you, Evan, where do I message? Uh, shoot, fine. Sorry, hang on. I should have posted this. This is my profile on GMAT Club. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. There we go. So please click on that. Um, Kina appreciates your help. So does I can't, I'm not gonna pronounce your name again. I'm, I'm an American. I can't pronounce these names. Uh, and sure. I, I, I hope I got that right. Can a Bob, can, can a Bob Smith ever join one time just so I don't sound like an absolute idiot trying to pronounce everything here? Uh, how to improve SC questions. What material would be good? Um, as I can't solve medium and hard questions. Uh, so I'm sure if you're struggling with that, I would first advise like, prepare for your fundamentals, right? Because GMAT has very specific grammar rules that they would want you to follow, right? It's not regular grammar that we've learned in our school. So before trying to solve medium and hard questions, I think the trick is to get your fundamentals in place. Uh, I would say spend, I spent almost like a month to get my SC concepts in place. And I think that really helped me because then after that, I did not have to really go back to it at all. It was done, it was ingrained in my mind and uh, there is, I think EGMAT Club has a really good grammar book that you could download. I've done that. And that was a very good starting point for me to get what is the gerunds, what are participles. We, we tend to forget those things by the time you're at this age. Um, so start with that. And then you can start solving the official questions to get to medium and hard questions. And just to add on, one, so MGMAT, Manhattan GMAT, a lot of my moderators have used the book. They have really liked it. So it tends to build good uh, form and fundamentals there. The other thing, as we sort of mentioned at the beginning, go on the forum, follow GMAT Ninja and Generis. Those are two uh, sentence correction experts. 
figure out what they are doing. Now, sense question is maybe a bit more mathematical than critical reasoning and reading comprehension, given that you have a set of rules, you just have to apply them. So there's not a ton of logic involved. But nonetheless, figure out how they're solving, what they're solving, what their indicators are, and then you can apply them to as well moving forward. Yeah, um, that's right. He says, all the best uh, for applications, and I echo that, all the best for you. So to everyone watching, thank you so much for joining us here on a, was again, an unusually warm Saturday in November, and I'm pissed about it because I want to be bundled up in all my sweaters. Um, so uh, from everyone at GMAC Club, I appreciate you joining us here today. Riddy, thank you so much for joining us. You were wonderful. Uh, it, it was an absolute pleasure having you with us. Is there anything you want to say to the crowd before we leave? Um, don't give up. Uh, so even if first attempt goes wrong, I think everybody takes time to figure out the format. So I don't think one attempt defines whether you know your stuff or know whether you should go to B school or no. Um, so two or three attempts, decide what's your limit, but do not give up in the first attempt. I think that's my advice. She's a warrior, folks. And if you want to go to business school because it is your dream, you'll be warriors too, and you'll fight through it. So from everyone at GMAT Club, thank you once again. Please join us for our next debrief and for our upcoming videos. We hope that you guys enjoy them. And uh, we'll see you soon. So take care, everybody.